Well, it isn't a podcast if I'm not sick on at least one episode. So here I am with a cold. It's uh, it's all right. It's not the worst thing. Um, I'm pretty much only congested with no other side effects, so that's all right. It might be from black mold. I don't know if uh, I don't know if. Oops! I dropped the encyclopedia. Um, I don't know if there's if there's information about black mold in this encyclopedia. That would be sick, because then I could read up about it and know what to do. But I I I think that there's black mold. It's mold that is black. That's building up on the my bathroom ceiling because there have been leaks for a while. Uh, and my landlords were like, no, 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 it's no big deal. We'll just patch things up. But anyway, today I, I bleached it and, uh, and hopefully that will kill some of the active stuff. But I wonder if that could give me a cold because I feel like that's the, the thing with black mold. It makes you sick and stuff. Um, anyway, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's all right. Um, and not the end of the world, but we shall see. Anyway, I'm recording from my bedroom because I feel like it's, it's both quieter, but also potentially louder because there's street sounds. Um, so we'll see about that. And also there will be me sniffling and, uh, and blowing my nose. So lots of really cool side sounds for you all today. Um, last week I recorded Africa and Africa was too long to fit on that episode. So we're going to start with Africa and it'll sound like me without a cold. We'll all reminisce on back in the day when I used to not be sick. And then, uh, yeah. And then I'll keep on going with, uh, with the next entry. So here is vintage Africa from last week. Africa. Africa is a giant continent more than three times bigger than the United States. Africa is divided in two by the equator, so the continent is partly in the northern hemisphere and partly in the southern hemisphere. A narrow bridge of land in the northeast connects Africa to the Sinai Peninsula of Asia. The rest of the continent is surrounded by water. The Mediterranean Sea separates Africa from Europe to the north. The Atlantic Ocean is to the west, and the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, and the Indian Ocean are to the east. Several islands, including one of the world's largest, Madagascar, lie off the African mainland. Let's get the numbers over with quick, because they're right here to the side. Total population, 375 million. Total area, 11,500,000 square miles. Highest point, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, 19,565 feet. Lowest point, Katara Depression in northern Egypt, 440 feet below sea level. Longest river, Nile River, 4,160 miles long. Largest lake, Lake Victoria, 26,828 square miles. Largest city, Cairo, 5,517,000 people. I mean million. Wait, 5,517,000. All right, the land. 
People sometimes imagine that most of Africa is a steaming jungle of twisted vines and tangled bushes. Jungles are actually found only in a small part of Central Africa. The rest of the continent is mainly desert and grassland. Tropical forests and woodlands occupy about one-fifth of the total area of Africa. The various land regions are distributed over a great plateau. Whoa, I have to turn through so many maps to get to the rest of the sentence. Okay. The savannas close to the rainforest have... Ooh, nope. I, am, I skipped something. The various land regions are distributed over a great plateau. The plateau rises sharply from the low coastal plains and stretches across most of the continent. The largest desert in the world, the Sahara, is the main feature of the northern plateau. Two smaller deserts, the Kalahari and the Namib, are in the southern plateau. The deserts are mostly dry and barren, although the Sahara has a few green spots called oases, where date palms and cereals grow. The rainforests of Central Africa near the equator are just the opposite. These moist tropical lands are thick with fruit trees, oil palms, and hardwood trees such as ebony and mahogany. The trees often grow so high and thick that sunlight can barely reach the ground. Did I say sunlight? Sunlight. <laughs> Between the desert regions and the rainforests are savannas, lonely stretches of grassland with scattered trees and shrubs. These lands make up almost half of the area of Africa. The dry savannas near the deserts have short, stubby grass, but the savannas close to the rainforest have coarse elephant grass, which can grow tall enough to hide a person or even a large animal. Much of Africa lies in the tropics, but highland regions throughout the continent have a cool and comfortable climate. The Atlas Mountains is in the northwest are Africa's longest range. The smaller Drakensberg mountain chain lies along the south southeastern tip. Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya are in the east central highlands. These mountains are close to the equator, but they are capped with snow all year. Also in the eastern ranges are Africa's largest lakes, including Lake Tanganyika, the longest freshwater lake in the world. The waters of the eastern lakes help feed three great rivers, the Nile, the Congo, and the Sambezi. Another important river, the Niger, drains the waters of west-central west Africa. Steep waterfalls and rapids often occur at the places where these mighty rivers plunge from the high plateaus to the low coastal lands. The spectacular Victoria Falls on the Zambezi River in southeastern Africa drop about 355 feet. Animal life. Some of the world's most famous animals come from Africa. Giraffes, elephants, zebras, antelopes, and rhinoceros, rhinoceroses? Wait, rhinoceros, rhinoceroses? Rhinoceroses. Rhino, <laughs> rhinos. <laughs> Feed on the plentiful grasses and shrubs of the savannas. Fierce meat eaters such as lions, leopards, and cheetahs also dwell in the grassy plains. Ostriches, the largest of all birds, are found in the sandy savanna lands near the Sahara. Many of these large animals are protected in special parks because so many have been killed by hunters. Crocodiles and hippopotamuses are common in warm rivers and swamps. The tropical rainforests are the home of gorillas, chimpanzees, monkeys, colorful birds, and a great variety of insects and snakes. The rock python is a giant African snake that squeezes its prey to death and swallows it whole. An especially dreaded insect of the tropical lands is the blood-sucking tsetse fly. It carries the germs that cause sleeping sickness and other diseases. 
People. Africa has an enormous variety of people with different customs and ways of life. Most Africans are farmers who live in villages in the grasslands and coastal areas. Many are nomads who wander from place to place, herding cattle, sheep, or other livestock. Some live and work in modern cities. A few primitive tribes hunt and gather wild plant food. They live much as their ancestors lived for thousands of years. Languages. Africans speak more than 800 languages. Arabic is the chief tongue of Northern Africa. Great numbers of Eastern Africans speak Swahili. It is just one of the 80 Bantu languages. Hausa is also widely spoken, especially in the West. The Bushmen and Hottentots speak a variety of Khoisan languages, which are quite unusual. They feature clicking sounds that are not found in any other language. English or French is the official language of many countries that are or once were European colonies. The Dutch of South Africa speak Afrikaans, a Germanic language developed by Dutch settlers in the 1600s. Religion. The religions of Africa are as varied as the people. Many different groups have their own tribal religions. Most tribes believe in one God who created the universe and who controls human life. They may also worship their ancestors as minor gods and believe in spirits that represent part that represent parts of nature such as trees, water, or the sun. Religious rituals are an important part of tribal life. They mark events such as births, marriages, and deaths. Magic ceremonies are often performed to heal the sick and to make the land more fertile. About 100 million Africans, mainly in the north, are Muslims. Many African people were converted by Christianity to Christianity by European missionaries in the 1800s. Large numbers of Egyptians and Ethiopians are members of the Coptic Orthodox Church. About 300,000 people are Jewish. History. Africa has a long and complex history. Ancient skulls found by archaeologists show that the human race may have had its beginnings on the African continent millions of years ago. Rock paintings and tools of the Stone Age have also been discovered, but not much is known about the earliest peoples of Africa. The first highly developed civilization began in Egypt in the Nile Valley about 3000 BC. An important area of settlement after 1000 BC was the Mediterranean coast of Africa. Phoenician and Greek invaders founded colonies there. As Egypt gradually became weaker, it was conquered about 725 BC by the Kushites, a civilization on the Nile River south of Egypt. The Kushites built the oldest and greatest civilization of Africa. It lasted a thousand years. Both Egypt and the Mediterranean lands had become part of the Roman Empire by the middle of the first century AD. Still another group of invaders, the Muslims of Arabia, began to conquer northern Africa about the year 700. Muslim influence spread in time to West Central Africa, where there were several large kingdoms. Camel caravans were sent across the Sahara to trade with kingdoms of Ghana, Mali, and Songhai. Northern African goods such as cloth and wheat were exchanged for gold and ivory. Arab traders also brought their religion and culture to the coastal cities of Eastern Africa. The next great influence on African development after the Arabs came from Europe. The Portuguese set up trading posts on both the east and west coast during the 1400s. At first they were interested only in African gold, ivory, and spices. But as colonies began to be established in the Americas, the Portuguese found that slave trade was even more profitable. The British and French also set up trading posts in the 1600s, and the Dutch started a colony at the Cape of Good Hope. The slave trade began to decline in the 1800s. 
but millions of black Africans had been captured and brought to the Americas by that time. European explorers and missionaries penetrated the interior of Africa in the 1770s. Europeans became interested in colonizing Africa when this continent's vast natural resources were discovered. Great Britain, France, Germany, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, and Italy competed for control of Africa, beginning in about 1850. These nations had divided up almost all of Africa among themselves by 1914. Only Ethiopia and Liberia were independent countries. Colonial rule brought great changes to Africa. Transportation was improved, industries were developed, and new cities were built. Missionaries set up schools and hospitals in remote places, but not all the changes brought about by the Europeans were good. Often the white settlers did not understand the Africans' ways and they tried to do away with the cherished customs of tribal peoples. Many people were offered jobs in mines and factories, but they were not given the same rights and wages as white people. Europeans often took the best lands for themselves, leaving the less productive lands to the Africans. People in some parts of Africa began to demand the right of self-government in the late 1880s. The struggle for independence became stronger and more widespread after World War II. Most of the colonies gained their independence peacefully during the 1950s and 1960s. By 1976, Portugal and Spain had no more African claims, and France planned to grant independence to its possessions. The new nations are struggling with many problems. Although they are making rapid progress in economic development, most of them are still very poor. Education is improving, but in every country, many of the people cannot read or write. More people trained in science, medicine, and government are needed. Nearly every African government faces the difficulty of unifying groups of people who are widely different from one another. The Organization of African States established in 1963 is trying to unite the new countries and to help other parts of Africa in their movements toward independence. All right, that was interesting in some ways and challenging in others because a lot of stuff feels dated and I actually skipped and changed a lot of words because I thought there was some sort of, uh, I don't know, wrong wording of, of stuff, um, out of date. But let's go back because they had all these other materials in here. So there's a whole list of the African nations but this is from the time. I feel like reading them. I'm not gonna, let's see, I'm not gonna read their area service, but I'm gonna say the name and the year of their independence. Wow, it's a lot, okay. Afar Senisas, French territory. No, not anymore. Algeria, 1962. Angola, 1975. Benin, 1960. Botswana, 1966. Burundi, 1962. Cameroon, 1960. Cape Verde, 1975. Central African Republic, 1960. Chad, 1960. Comoro, 1975. Congo, 1960. Egypt, 1922. Equatorial Guinea, 1968. Ethiopia, about 1000 BC. Gabon, 1960. Gambia, 1970. Ghana, 1957. Guinea, 1958. Guinea-Bissau, 1974. Ivory Coast, 1960. Kenya, 1963. Lesotho, 1951. Liberia, 1847. Libya, 1951. Madagascar, 1960. Malawi, 1964. Mali, 1960. 
Mauritania, 1960. Mauritius, 1968. Morocco, 1956. Mozambique, 1975. Namibia, in dispute, South Africa and UN both claim it. Mm. Niger, 1960. Nigeria, 1960. Réunion, French Overseas Department. Rhodesia, 1965. Rwanda, 1965. Sao Tome and Principe, 1975. Senegal, 1960. Seychelles, 1976. Sierra Leone, 1961. Somalia, 1960. South Africa, 1931. Sudan, 1956. Swaziland, 1968. Tanzania, 1964. Togo, 1960. Tunisia, 1956. Uganda, 1962. Upper Volta, 1960. Western Sahara, in dispute. Zaire, 1960, and Zambia, 1964. I would love to cross-reference that with what it is today, because, I don't know, about like 70% of that felt like right and or familiar, but a lot of it I just don't know or it feels wrong. But yeah, interesting. Now there's a big map, which I could bore you by just like reading through my perception of it, but just do yourself a favor and open up a map of Africa and remember how big and amazing it is. And also how there are just so many of the countries I don't recognize. And then on top of that, each capital with an interesting name. Anyway, uh, cool. That's the map of Africa. There's a map of the major climate regions. So you have the Mediterranean bit at the very top. You have the whole desert area of like Sahara and then there's a lower desert area down in the southwest, also southwest of Madagascar, which I didn't know. Then there's semi-arid strips surrounding those desert areas. There's the wet and dry tropical, oh no, sorry, rainy tropical that's center and west, like west center. Um, and then the whole eastern side of Madagascar is rainy tropical. Madagascar has all of, almost all of the climate options, which is interesting, I wanna visit. Um, and then there's wet and dry tropical and wet subtropical, and those are kind of scattered everywhere. There's a photo of Mount Kilimanjaro. They say it's the highest mountain in Africa. It stands in the East African country of Tanzania near the border with Kenya and has two volcanic peaks. The art of Africa is famous for its strong, simple shapes. Sometimes the shapes are covered with fancy designs. The artist who carved this wooden statue covered it with colored seed pearls. And then there's a photo of a small village in Uganda also a photo of fishermen in Chad that are getting their nets ready to go fishing on Lake Chad. And then there are a few photos of different people from different countries in Africa. Um, there's a photo of a factory. It says, here you see a gold mine in Val Ray, South Africa. Gold is an important African export. All right, I think that's it for Africa.
Okay, and we're back to present time where I am reading everything after Africa. So next up is Louis Agassiz. I'm not totally sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, his years were 1807 to 1873. And there is a little like quick pencil drawing of him saying he's a Swiss-American naturalist. So, the ambitious son of a villager in Switzerland grew up to be one of the greatest naturalists of the 1800s. He was Jean-Louis Agassiz. He gained his greatest fame for important work in ichthyology, 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 I'm not sure, the study of fish. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard that word before, ichthyology. Maybe it's... Pronounced different. Okay, he was a geologist who added to scientific understanding of glaciers and the ways continents form. Even as a child in Switzerland, Agassiz was determined to be a great naturalist. He formed the habit of observing nature closely. This habit became the key to his life's work. He had to see nature at first hand, not just read about it in books. Once he risked his life to go into the center of a glacier to study it. Agassiz was a teacher as well as a scientist. He had a warm personality and was popular. When he came to America at the age of 39, Agassiz was already world famous. He became a professor at Harvard University and he founded Harvard's Museum of Comparative Zoology. Cool. Uh, all right, next up. This seems potentially cute or not. Aging. I'm worried it's going to be like adolescence. We'll see. All right. On each birthday, a person adds one year to his or her age. Growing older year by year is called chronological aging. However, each person grows and ages at their own pace. Some babies take longer than others to learn to walk. Some children grow faster than others. Scientists believe that each person has a biological clock that sets his or her speeding of aging. Most plants keep growing throughout their lives, but most animals do not. A human being is usually full-grown by age 21. Scientists divide human life into three periods, youth, middle age, and old age. In youth, the speed with which the body obeys orders from the mind, called coordination, is quickest. The muscles of young people move easily and usually do not stay stiff or tired for long after hard work or play. Pe people's muscles tire more quickly in middle age. Yep. In old age, the body has become parts that are weak and others that are strong. Sorry. In old age, the body has some parts that are weak and others that are strong. Parts of the body wear out at different speeds. Some worn out parts of the body can be replaced. The heart has valves that work so hard pumping blood that they may become weak. Surgeons can now put into the heart man-made valves that work as well as natural ones. Many older people may have bodies so stiff they can hardly move, but they may still have very active minds. The growth of the mind may be at a different rate from the aging of the rest of the body. Wow, I actually love that article. That's like, I feel like somebody could make a beautiful uh, like short film or cartoon or something about 
that like last paragraph. It's just so positive. It's like your mind's a different thing and just because your body's not working well doesn't mean your mind's not active and doing well. Also, sorry, I'm blowing my nose. Also, I've been thinking about the fact like being of an age uh where I'm no longer physically growing, but I feel like met waves of mental growth might be, I don't know. I would be curious to look more into that and study that to know what, like how the brain keeps developing and forming and changing over time. Uh, anyway, I think that's really interesting because I feel like my brain is definitely, definitely changed and grown a lot in the last few years. Uh, all right. Next up is agriculture. Woo! I love agriculture. Today I decided to call my very dear friend Mariko Carrot. I just decided that I want to start calling her Carrot. So I think that's fun. It's good to nickname your friends after vegetables, I think. Oh my god, I'm so stuffy. And I took two day quills already and I never even take medication for stuff but it didn't even work okay here we go agriculture man's life was difficult before he discovered how to grow food people lived in small groups because it was difficult to provide a large number of people with food the groups roamed the countryside constantly looking for animals to kill or wild plants to pick if they could not spear or trap an animal, and if they did not find plants, they went hungry. Agriculture, often called the mother of civilization, changed all that. The word agriculture comes from two Latin words, meaning to plant and to care for the fields. But agriculture is far more than planting and raising crops. Agricultural scientists today study soil, climate, how plants grow, how to stop plant enemies, and how to develop better plants. Other scientists study animals. They try to find new ways to raise better animals and to prevent and cure diseases. Farms, ranches, plantations, orchards, gardens, dairies, sheds for beehives, and a great many laboratories and factories are now part, parts of agriculture. The areas where most plants and animals are cared for are called rural areas. Rural is an adjective meaning open country. Agriculture employs more than half the people on earth, but in the United States, only four out of every hundred people are now involved in agriculture. I'm sure that number is way lower now. Many machines are used on North American farms, ranches, and plantations. Scientific methods are used in crop production and livestock care. Although they are a small group of people, U.S. farmers produce more food each year than all the people in the United States can eat. Other parts of the world cannot run farms with so few people as the U.S. does. Three of the main reasons for this are the lack of good cropland, the cost of buying and using machines, and the strict following of ancient ways of farming. About seven out of every ten people in Africa live in rural areas and work in agricultural jobs. Three out of every ten people in Europe are farm folk. So, <laughs> farm folk. So are six out of every ten in Asia and five out of every ten in South America. 
Some of the cattle and sheep stations, ranches, in Australia cover thousands of square miles, and four out of every ten Australians live and work in farm areas. Those numbers may all be very different now. Sorry for this quick interruption, but uh, I realize I forgot to sort of narrate some of the images. Um, back in aging, I'm going back, there's a photo of a little girl climbing a ladder up to a tree with a grandma underneath, and it says, living things grow and age in different ways. This little girl has a lot of growing still to do. Her grandmother, like all people, stopped growing taller at about 21 years of age. Trees grow until they die. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, and then with the agriculture article, there's a, a wall picture of ancient Egypt showing the time when all work in agriculture was done by hand using animals and simple tools. So like an ancient Egyptian picture. And then uh, another one saying, early planters believed the gods took care of crops and harvests. Even today, some primitive tribes tribes dress up and dance in the hope they will get good crops. Is that PC to say primitive tribes? I guess pr primitive? I guess primitive is sort of a relative word. Uh, okay. All right, the start of agriculture. People living in the sunny, fertile lands between the Mediterranean Sea and the Persian Gulf are believed to have started agriculture about 15,000 years ago. These people discovered that wild seeds planted in rows, kept clean of weeds, and watered regularly produced large harvests. They lived near their fields to guard them from both human and animal robbers, so they built year-round huts by their fields with nearby pits for storing crops. After a time, these places became villages. Then roads were made between the villages, and different peoples became acquainted. The fruit trees and fields of grain attracted wild animals. After many failures, villagers captured and tamed some of the animals. The first type of animal to be tamed or domesticated was probably the sheep. Soon dogs were domesticated, then hundreds of years apart, chickens, pigs, cattle, donkeys, and finally horses. Domestication of these animals took place mostly along the shores of the Mediterranean and further east on the grassy plains of Russia, called steppes, 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 between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. These changes caused agriculture to split into three major divisions, which I'll read about in but one moment. But first, there's a photo of a guy on a tractor. It's, it says, small American farms are fast disappearing. They are being combined into large farms. On these large farms, big and powerful machinery is used. And then there's a photo of a lot of sheep. And it says, how would you like a job tending this flock of sheep? Breeding and raising animals is one of the main branches of agriculture. Oh, sorry, I'm so stuffy. It's, it's getting more intense, I feel. Okay, stock farming. Some families chose to tame and care for herds of animals. These were the stockmen. In the years of the American Wild West, stockmen, especially cattlemen and shepherds, often lived on the frontier. For a second, I thought shepherds was pronounced shepherds. <laughs> shepherds often lived on the frontier. 
Until recently, slow transportation forced dairymen and poultrymen to keep their animals close to the cities. Today, the Asian African people and African peoples called nomads, wanderers, or stockmen. They move from place to place seeking food and water for their herds. Wood crop farming. The ancient Greeks discovered many uses for, for the fruit and wood of the olive tree. Some Greeks became specialists in growing olives and processing olive oil. Many Egyptian farmers specialized in growing and harvesting cotton. They learned how to harvest the puffy bulls, balls of the cotton plant, remove the seeds, and weave the fibers into cloth. The efforts of the ancient Greeks and the Egyptians were the beginnings of another major branch of agriculture, one crop farming. Examples of one crop ex agriculture in the U.S. today are the Midwest wheat farms, the southern cotton plantations, and the citrus groves of Florida and California. Each of these places, as well as many other farming areas in the world, has climate and soil that are very good for the one crop of the region. Diversified farming. Several different crops can be grown on one farm. Diversified farming was, and still is, the most common type of farming. It got its start in America from European farmers, such as those from Estremadura in Spain. They brought their knowledge of this farming to the New World. There's a whole page dedicated to uh, showing the distribution of food to people in the United States. So it says, if certain products were added up and divided among the 220 million people in the U.S., here's an idea of how much each person would get. The United States produces more of these products than any other country in the world. This table shows how many animals were marketed for each person in the U.S. So for... What? Oh, yeah, okay. So there are 15 chickens for each person. Is that per year? This is confusing. Anyway, it's like 15 chickens for each person, half of a turkey for each person. Oh, I think that's just like proportion-wise. A third of a hog for each person, a quarter of a cow for each person, a 22nd of a sheep for each person. And then distribution of crops on a percentage basis. Figures obtained from USDA pertain to 1970, slight variance on an annual basis. Hay is 24%, corn is 21%, wheat is 17 soy is 16 oats is 7 sorghum is 5 barley is 4 cotton is 4 rice is 1 flax is 1. That's probably changed a lot as well. There is also a photo of women picking olives in somewhere in Europe. It says, have olives which have ripened and fallen from the tree. In Europe, many olive growers have diversified farms. They grow several different crops. And there's a photo of one crop agriculture near Dhaka, Bangladesh. The squares are rice paddies separated by dikes or walls of dirt. There are squares and a river. Squares of rice fields and a river. Okay, here we go. Uh, European farming in America. This is a long article. Spanish soldiers conquered Mexico and Peru and first explored the southern and southwestern U.S. between 1521 and 1550. 
The Spaniards were called conquistadors, meaning conquerors. Many of them grew up in Estremadura, one of the most beautiful areas of diversified farming in Europe. It is a region of many mountains, river valleys, and red earth fields along the border between Spain and Portugal. It has been famous for more than 2,000 years for its crops of wheat, olives, fruit, and cork, and for its herds of sheep, goats, and pigs. The conquistadors quickly realized that the mountains, plains, and climate of Southern California, Arizona, and New Mexico were very much like the countryside and weather of their Spanish homeland. The first Spanish settlers in the southwest planted the crops they had known in Estremadura, oranges, olives, figs, grapes, and wheat. They bought cattle, horses, and pigs from Spain, too. Spanish settlers moved into Florida, too, in the last half of the 16th century. The climate and soil of their new home reminded them of Andalusia, the region of Spain that is Estremadura's southern neighbor. So these settlers brought oranges from Andalusia and found that this fruit grew well in Florida. They learned about a new world plant food when they received the small sweet nuts of the pine nut tree from Indians. The Indians had used these piñones in soups, breads, and candies for a long time. I love pine nuts. The French founded New Orleans and began other settlements along the Gulf of Mexico. They liked the Spanish... Oh, they, like the Spanish, thought of their European homes when they began to farm. They brought pears and carrots from France to America. Colonists in Massachusetts and Virginia found their land and climate much like that of their native England. So they brought familiar animals, such as sheep and cattle and plants, such as peaches, to America. These settlers also got help from the Indians, who taught them how to plant and raise corn, squash, and tobacco. I should say Native Americans, I think. All these New World settlers were fortunate that their new homes were much like their old ones. Plants do not grow successfully everywhere in the world. Plants do well in certain soils or climates. In different soils or in different weather conditions, they may not grow at all. They should have also done a section about, uh, like, what was the farming before Europeans came and did all this stuff, and also mentioning all the negative aspects of bringing in all these, like, invasive things, which some, it worked out, but some, some things actually ended up being a problem with invasive species and stuff. Anyway. Names for agricultural land. The three most common names for agricultural property come from the regions where European methods of caring for the land began. Ranch comes from the Spanish word rancho, which first meant where the cattle graze. It was used by the Spanish people who pioneered the Rio Grande Valley of New Mexico in 19, uh, 1598. The word spread to Texas, Arizona, and California, and then moved eastward. Most ranches today are west of the Mississippi River, but many of them have no cattle at all. They include mink ranches, horse ranches, fruit ranches, and even rose ranches. Plantation comes from a Latin word used by English knights and lords. It meant a rural estate where servants tended the crops and cared for the livestock. Blech. 
Virginians began to develop large one-crop areas of tobacco or rice. Agricultural properties throughout the South were often called plantations, especially where planters owned slaves to do the hard work. Dairy herds, beef cattle, poultry, fruit, grains, beans, vegetables, and peanuts have now become important agricultural products in the South. Diversified farming has replaced much one-crop farming. Agriculturalists in the South now prefer to be called farmers instead of planters. Farm is an old English word that the pilgrims brought to New England. The word meant land that is rented. During the centuries when knights on horseback were the most important part of an army. The man who worked on a farm was not a serf or peasant, but paid an annual rent to the lord or knight who owned the land. If an agriculturalist owned his own land, but was not a knight or lord, he was called a Franklin. Technology comes to agriculture. Abraham Lincoln was president in 1863. At the time, seven out of every ten Americans worked and lived on farms, plantations, and ranches. Nearly everybody owned a horse, and almost every home had a horse barn and a horse pasture. Horsepower was the chief method of getting the job done. Horses plowed and tilled the fields, hauled, and w hauled the wagons, carriages, coaches, and harvesting machines, and trampled the kernels of grain free from the stalks on the threshing floors. Horses and mules were the great servants of American agriculture from 1600 until 1920. Slaves on, on southern plantations also played a very important part in shaping modern American farming. How can you just, like, go from... How can you just go from saying, like, horses are very helpful to to saying, like, slaves also, without addressing how messed up that is. That's the sort of thing that's not really uh, acceptable in this encyclopedia. Wow, there's a sharp kind of high ringing note somewhere either in my building or outside. I don't know if it's going to get picked up. Okay. Tractors, trucks, and hundreds of planting, spraying, weeding, and harvesting machines took the place of horses and mules in the 1920s. Scientists discovered ways to grow two or three times as much crop on the same amount of land. These inventions and discoveries made it possible for a family to farm three, four, or five times as much land as they could have with horses and mules. Fewer people were needed on farms. Machines and other materials needed for modern agriculture were expensive and complicated. Large properties and scientific training became necessary for successful farming. More and more farmers and ranchers sold their lands and moved to town. Hired workers were laid off or went to cities for better jobs. In 1900, about 35 of every 100 people in the U.S. worked on farms. By 1970, 28 of those 35 had found employment elsewhere. A major division of the U.S. government is the Department of Agriculture. Its director, the Secretary of Agriculture, is a member of the President's Cabinet. The 109,000 people who work for the department are scientists, engineers, economists, and other specialists in modern agriculture. Each state in the U.S. has a Department of Agriculture. Many also have a state college of agriculture. The local advisors on agricultural affairs in each area who have offices at each of the 3,000 county seats in the U.S. are called county agents. Agriculture is faced with big problems despite the great changes created by machines and science. Among the most difficult ones are air and water pollutions, high operating costs, new kinds of plant and animal diseases, and the growing number of people who must be fed.
you. You cannot see it, smell it, or taste it. But you can feel the wind blow. You can see the wind move waves on the water, clouds in the sky, and tree branches. Wind is moving air. Without air, you cannot breathe. There could be no living plants or animals. Because sound travels through air, without air there would be silence. The movement of invisible air can support a large, heavy airplane. Air makes up a precious blanket of atmosphere wrapped around the earth. Beyond this blanket lies airless space. Men must carry, men and women must carry their own air supplies to be able to live and work when they travel in spaceships through this airless space. Air is a mixture of gases and water vapor. The most important gases in the air are nitrogen and oxygen. About 78% of the air is made up of nitrogen, and about 21% of oxygen. The remaining 1% is mostly argon, plus very tiny amounts of small other gases, of some other gases, sorry. Almost all living things use the oxygen in air. Fire cannot burn without oxygen. Okay, there's a bit that says, discovering facts about air. Let's try reading it. Air can be compressed. Get a small paper bag and blow into it until it swells up. Close the bag by twisting the end. Feel the bag. If the bag were just standing open, it would be filled with air. But by blowing into the bag, you have forced even more air into the same amount of space. The air from your lungs has been compressed or squeezed together in the bag, so the bag feels firm. If you could see into the bag, you would not still be able you would still not be able to see the air. <laughs> now lay an empty bag on the edge of a table. Place a small book on top of it. Blow the bag full of air. The book will rise from the table. It is held up by the air in the bag. In the same way, air in tires holds a car off the ground. You are really riding on compressed air when you ride in a car. Uh, speaking of compressed air, I'm almost done with this really incredible book that I highly recommend that involves scuba diving. Uh, it's called Manhattan Beach, and the author is, one second, it's right next to me, is Jennifer Egan, E-G-A-N, or Egan, and it's about, it's fiction, it's about a young woman living, uh, in Brooklyn in the Second World War, and she works at the Brooklyn Navy Yard and uh, becomes a volunteer scuba diver despite uh, sexism and all other factors getting in her way. But it's, it's a great book. Okay, more, more of these air experimentations. Let's see. Air expands when heated. Fasten a balloon containing a little air to the open top of each of two small neck bottles. Wait, what? Fasten a balloon containing a little air to the open top of each of two small neck bottles. Uh, 
Place one bottle in a pan of hot water and the other in ice water. The air in the first bottle is heated by the hot water. The molecules, small particles of air, move faster and faster. The air expands and moves into the, into the balloon. The balloon gets bigger. Air in the other bottle cools and takes up less space than before, so the balloon shrinks and looks nearly empty. I feel like they shouldn't recommend you putting a plastic bottle. Oh, they didn't say plastic, I guess. But to, today's child would put a plastic bottle into a heated pan, and that wouldn't be very good. Uh, when air expands, it becomes lighter. A small electric heater can heat an entire room. The heater warms the air next to it. The warmed air becomes lighter and moves upward. Sorry, that's my alarm. I was napping uh, to get rid of this stupid cold. Okay, where was I? The warmed air becomes lighter and moves upward. Cool air moves into its place. The new air gets warm and also rises. Then it cools and moves down. The air keeps moving in circles and the whole room is soon heated. Air is everywhere. Pack a glass full of soil from a garden. Add water to the glass. Watch the bubbles of air rise through the water. A lawn is often dotted with earthworms after a rain. The rain has forced air out of the ground, so the worms must come to the surface to breathe. Yikes. Air conditioning. You can make an air conditioner, a machine that lowers the temperature of the air around it. You need an electrical fan, a bowl of ice cubes, a thermometer, and an adult to help you. Put the fan on a table and put the thermometer on the table about 15 inches in front of the fan. See what temperature the thermometer shows. Now turn on the fan, but be careful. Do not go near the fan while it is running. You can feel a cool breeze when you stand in front of the fan. Wait five minutes and see what temperature the thermometer then shows. Next, place the bowl of ice on the table just in front of the fan. Does the breeze feel even cooler? After five minutes, what temperature does the thermometer show? Air is seldom at the temperature comfortable for most people, about 70 degrees or 21 degrees Celsius. So men have learned to build machines that change air temperature. Machines that raise the air temperature are heaters. Machines that lower the air temperature are air conditioners. The work that these machines do is called air conditioning. Air conditioners have other jobs besides changing the air temperature. The amount of water vapor in the air is called humidity. Humidity is also important to comfort. A person's perspiration usually evaporates into the air. This makes the person feel cool. In parentheses, put a drop of rubbing alcohol in your arm and blow on it. What happens? Why rubbing alcohol? Interesting. But in summer, the humidity is often high. The air has no room for evaporated perspiration, so air conditioners remove water from the air. Perspiration evaporates and a person feels cool. One more important job for air conditioners is to filter or clean the air. Air is filled with dust, pollen, and many other substances. Air conditioner filters are made of fine threads of glass called glass wool. The air conditioner's fan blows the air through the filter, which catches the dust and pollen. Many home air conditioners are small and fit in windows. 
The diagram is of a window air conditioner. New buildings often have central air conditioning, and one big machine cools the entire building. Pipes carry cool air from the machine to all the rooms, and sometimes the same pipes that carry cool air in summer carry hot air, carry hot air in the winter. Not in my building. Alright, that might have to be it for today, because uh, coming up we have Aircraft Carrier, and that's a million pages long because this book was obviously designed for boys, um, which is, I mean, I'm so stoked to get into all the air stuff. It's like airlines, air force, airplanes, all this stuff. I'm really excited to learn more, so, so that'll be cool. And then there's air pollution, air pour, air pressure, all of the airs, airship, air traffic control, Alabama, we'll see, we'll see how far we get, um, and yeah, so last episode, I think I promised that this week I would have some commentary, like a commentary guest for the podcast, but, uh, but we're going to actually start that next week. Uh, this week is just another good old, good old classic reading of the encyclopedia. Hope you enjoyed it despite my cold. Uh, and yeah, next week will be fun because we'll do a lot of that aircraft stuff. And then I will have a special guest on to help me unpack what what this encyclopedia is all about and uh, and that'll be interesting so stick around things are gonna get really super super exciting over here alright catch you next week